So, Ian, uh, in the listener community, there's been a little bit of confusion about the term bala. So uh, we've done a little bit of research uh, into the etymology of this term. Yes, that's right. And uh, we've dug up some archive footage, and uh, we're going to play that for you. Uh, this is what we believe to be the origin. Give my chandelier. It's $2 million. It's made out of expensive chicken dinners I've eaten over the years. From baller-ass restaurants. Come with me. Oh, hold up. Recipe ain't right. Unless I make it right. This is bad. I sprinkle diamonds on everything I eat. Two reasons. One, it's the most baller shit you could possibly do to your food. And two, makes my dookie twinkle, man. Because it's baller. Baller. Thanks for coming back, crib. <laughs> Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy, it's Thursday morning. That means it's time for another Lifestyle Business Podcast. Today I'm joined by my captain, my co-hostess with the mostest, a man who's currently touring the lower 48 states with his award-winning PowerPoint presentation, an inconvenient client. Welcome to the program, Ian. If you guys stick around to the end of the show, we'll share with you how to get a free copy of one of one of Ian and I's favorite business books. Welcome to the LBP, Ian. This is your show, too. Why don't you say a couple words? Bala, 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 bala. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, man? Oh, we got some shouts on iTunes. Brian says, this is the best podcast by far. It's the most informative and entertaining podcast available. Ted Buck, this is Todd from Japan, says these guys are legit. This podcast is like having a life coach for free. These guys are entertaining, insightful, and they are legit. Last month I was in Bali. I wrote to Dan. He invited me to the house, and he was just as genuine and nice as he is on the podcast. He was interested in learning about my e-learning sites and offered great advice for free and the Bali house rocks. Thanks, guys. Todd from Japan. Well, Todd, count on it. I'm a businessman at heart. The invoice is in the mail, buddy. And thanks <laughs> thanks for the review. I really appreciate that. Finally, MDM says, if you guys are stuck in the office, this podcast is for you. Very inspiring. Every time I listen to these guys, I uh, my entrepreneur juices get flowing like Niagara Falls, tsunami, wave, boom. That just happened. That did just happen. I love it. I love that. Boom. Boom. I'm, total, I'm totally into it. Um, I've got a prompt here that says uh, we should mention the DC. I think we should mention the DC because if you are an entrepreneur and you're looking for other people to network with, there's probably no better forum on the planet. Just saw a tweet from Tom uh, yesterday on Twitter saying he's already made his money many times over. It's ridiculous. And I, I know that many members personally have, have done so. It's not that expensive. It's focused on people who've got something going on. Um, we've got an incredible group buy coming up in like something I'm very, very happy that we've pulled together coming up 
uh, next week in the DC. So just uh, I just want to make sure that I don't want to sell it, but I want to make sure that everybody that loves the podcast or is into the podcast is aware that we've got another level uh, for people that want to join us in our private forums. We also have meetups. We're having a meetup in Bangkok. We recently had one in Berlin. We're going to have one in New York in September. We haven't even mentioned that yet. This is the first time I mentioned that. Um, so that's pretty cool. Another way you can get involved is you can get on our mailing list and you get our first 50 episodes, which are not as good as our next 50 episodes, but they're free, so you can't complain that much. What do you that's think, right. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think if you haven't checked out the DC yet, you might want to check it out. Uh, I've been running a product mastermind in there. We're getting ready to do our second call. This is for people that are focused on physical products like myself. Uh, and we're all getting together talking about our projects uh, that are going on, helping each other with manufacturing. Um, a lot of manufacturing help going on in there. So uh, definitely something that's interesting to me and to some of the other DCers in there. So what are we going to talk about today, Dan? All right. So today in the meat and potatoes, in return for the audience letting us give a sales pitch for our paid products, we are going to bring the goods so hard like it's never been brought before. Today, we are going to talk about little known secrets of offshore corporations. This whole idea of offshore corporations, Ian, has fascinated me ever since I got into business. I call it entrepreneur crack. Like Every time I hear somebody talk about offshore, I'm like, what? What's going on? It just sounds like so James Bond to me. And I've spent the last year and a half in a dogged quest for knowledge about this kind of stuff. And I just want to try to distill some of the lessons that I've learned. And I think in particular for entrepreneurs who are interested in travel, for entrepreneurs that do business virtually and on the internet, and you know, for entrepreneurs that are interested in trends. I think this is a huge trend right now. Totally. So- this is uh, this is in the news right now with the whole Facebook IPO. Um, I don't remember his name, but uh, he renounced Eduardo renounced his citizenship. Uh, he yes. is going to become a Singaporean. Uh, that's right, Singaporean, right? Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah, and so he's going to become a Singaporean, and uh, people are up in arms about it because uh, he's potentially avoiding paying a lot of taxes. Now, we all know that he's paid a lot in taxes. Now, he might be escaping uh, a little bit in taxes, but he's paid a lot in taxes. And the reason this is interesting is because this is becoming more and more common. Yeah. And this is something that we are very interested in, too. Uh You know, we're working in a global economy here. Uh, I think eventually we're going to become kind of citizens of the world. We're already starting, me and you are starting to become citizens of of the world, spending tons of time, uh, you even more so than me, out of the country. Yeah. And so uh, these little passports that we hold, they're they're interesting. Um, They're very interesting. Yeah. So I think one of the trends that's happening is that borders are dissolving. And things like citizenships and visas and things are becoming more transferable. You know, when, I, when I'm in Hanoi right now, when I first came to Hanoi 11 years ago, uh, when I walked up to the immigration agent, the guy like kind of like peered up from his tea and looked at me and he had this look on his face like, what the heck are you doing here? Right. And now I show up and it's like, it feels like, you know, a, a, a terminal off of Hong Kong. They stamp my passport. It's like, welcome back to Hanoi, buddy. Right. And, and I mean, this definitely becoming, you know, the cliche goes, it's becoming global, but these things are starting to impact small businesses like ours. And so here are the things that we've learned over the last 
year and a half, I'd say, doing this kind of thing. First off, one disclaimer. We are not going to give you tax advice or any actionable advice for that matter. It's very important with these kinds of things to provide disclaimers. E and I are not experts. We don't know the right thing to do. And we're just guys who have businesses that we do some of this stuff. We're not professional advisors. We don't have any services to sell you about this kind of stuff. We're just sharing our personal experience. Yeah, we're just kind of uh, showing you what we've learned uh, potentially in, in the route that we might be taking in the future. Uh, one thing to note here, uh, when we're talking about you know globalization and things like that, I think it's important to, to view different countries as businesses, essentially. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, and so it's it's interesting because you know the USA has a certain way of doing business, Singapore has a certain way of doing business, Hong Kong, all these different places. Um, it's kind of like banks; like you kind of pick your bank um, based on what your needs are. So it's like, well, I bank with Bank of America because they give me two percent back on my savings account. Uh, we bank with Union Bank for our business account because they do this and that. And it's the same thing with um, with these countries too. I think that we're going to find in the future people are going to want to do business uh, with different countries based on their different needs. That's right. And so it's it's sort of like it, it goes back to the original flag theory. I think it was written by or I, I can't remember the I don't want to quote the guy, but the idea being that you choose every functional area of your company and you choose the ideal jurisdiction with which to base it. This kind of thinking is becoming more relevant. Um, so there's one other disclaimer that I want to give, which is that I think Nobody really knows the truth. There is no truth. Offshoring your life and your business and looking out, seeking out other jurisdictions is a process. There's not like a right answer. There's not a way to do it. Um, you know, even with, you know, particular agents of the IRS or like particular tax experts, they don't necessarily know the right thing to do. It's always a process and things are very unclear. And that's part of the problem. That's part of the reason it takes years to learn how to do this stuff effectively. And I think all the more reason to get started, you know, get your first offshore company set up and start working with it because it's fun, it's useful, and uh, you'll learn a ton. So here are some of the things that we learned. First off, speaking of flags, still the best one in the world is the good old U.S. of A, Ian. USA is one of the best places in the world to do business, and we're so lucky to have been able to start there. Actually, the U.S. is the number one offshore jurisdiction in the world. Um, in particular, Delaware C corporations are famous worldwide for being one of the best places to incorporate in the world. So, especially if you're not a United States citizen, because you know these are tax-free entities if you're doing business offshore. Right. Similar, similar to what our situation would be in a place like Hong Kong or Singapore, um, you know, somebody from Europe can come set up in the United States, get themselves a nice little C corp in Delaware, and angel investors are going to feel comfortable investing in their startup because they're set up in the United States. So, what are the, some of the things that we need to uh, set up a business in the United States? I think uh, you're going to need an EIN number. Well, getting doesn't give, getting a company give you the EIN number? Yeah, the EIN number is uh, yeah, exactly. You you set up your corporation and then you get your EIN number. Right. So the so the, one of the, the this is the second reason to set up in the United States because in in certain industries you need one. Like you need one to do stuff, right? You need a tax ID number. Oh yeah, a lot of times you'll have your vendors at the end of the year they'll ask for your uh, your paperwork. I think it's like a 
oh geez, I don't even remember what it is. But uh, they'll ask for like an i9 or whatever it is. Right. So obviously we're already tripping over ourselves. This stuff's confusing <laughs> as hell. But the point is, is that like, you know, if you're a foreigner, you're not a U.S. citizen doing business in the United States, you know, you need certain documentation. One way to get that is to set yourself up in the United States. It's cheap. It's easy. It's fun. And you should visit, man. The United States is a cool jam. Number three reason to set up in the United States. If, if your business is your first and only source of income and you live in the United States, then incorporating the United States is the way to go. This was actually in a misunderstanding that I had up till six months ago. If you're living in the United States primarily and you don't have an income from a job or a business and you just like go and set up in Hong Kong, like that's not gonna fly. You need to have like a primary source of income from the United States before you go set up offshore. So it doesn't really make sense to go set up offshore until you've got some cash flowing. So I think that right. those are three reasons to set up in the United States. But let's get moving on to the, the more fun stuff. Here are three things that you need to know about offshore business. Number one is the earned income exclusion, which states that American citizens living abroad have the potential to not pay taxes on their first $95,000 of earned personal income. And that's basically the single most profound thing you can do as an American citizen to minimize your tax burden. And that's profound because we're talking about up to $40,000 annually here. So even if you're balling, making half a million dollars a year, saving $40,000 is a profound event, right? And I don't know a lot of people that are making half a million dollars a year. So if you can stay offshore for up to 333 days at a time, you're going to qualify to get the Earned Income Exclusion Act. There's other ways to do it as well. You can just Google it and check it out for yourself or check out David over at Greenback Tax Services. But uh, that's the single most profound tax move you can make. Yeah, and I think you can do this backwards too, right? So... Uh, you can go and say, hey, two years ago, I was out of the country for a year. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So that's that's a, that's a good trick for people that are obviously living overseas. And that's actually even a reason to live overseas, in my mind, uh, is to actually get this earned income tax exclusion. So especially if you are working somewhere and you don't depend on any specific location, it's a good idea. Right. So there's some clever things. There's some there's some famous stories, some relatively famous people that we might know or might not know who, you know, have gone back and sort of retroactively tried to qualify for this on their tax intern because they were traveling for that year. Um, And so, you know, it's definitely something you want to look into. Uh, If you're running an Internet business and you have a penchant for street tacos, maybe just pop right across the border in Mexico. You save yourself a lot of money. Number two, you need to know that you must disclose all of your ownership of foreign corporations that's over 10%. So if you own a 10% effective share, like anything that means over 10%, this is kind of vague, right? But if you, basically, if you're any kind of owner that's meaningful of a foreign corporation, you got to tell the IRS. That's it. No exceptions. Technically, too, you're supposed to disclose uh, ownership if you're a beneficiary. Is that correct? That's correct. So let's say you think you're clever and you put 3%. I own 3%, but that company sends you a couple Ferraris every year. That's not going to fly. You need to let the IRS know that you own that mofo. And the number three thing that you need to know, and this is called the F-bar, you need if you have over 10K in foreign bank accounts, which 
let's face it, you're balling, so you do, you have to tell the IRS about that. You just absolutely cannot have, and that includes any account that you're signatory on, any account that you're a beneficiary, that uses beneficiary language to basically implicate anybody, right? So any right. any account that you have any kind of control over, it's like your buddy and you guys are really good buddies and you know he lets you, he loans you money from that bank account or whatever. I don't know, maybe the IRS thinks that's a beneficiary relationship. You got to talk to your tax uh, counselor about that. But any account, you have to tell the you have to tell you have to tell you know Uncle Sam about that. You have to let everybody know what you're dealing with overseas. Yeah, and the FBAR is due at a different time than your taxes are due. I think it's due in June or July or something like that. And it's just basically a form that you fill out or your accountant fills out, uh, and uh, you disclose all your different accounts on it. And uh, you know the penalty, if you look at it, the penalty for not disclosing the accounts is a fair amount. I can't remember yeah. what it is. But uh, you got to have an awful lot of money not to justify uh, filling out the FBAR. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about three reasons now that we, or actually we got four reasons why you think we think you should set up offshore, and then we're going to close off the episode with our three recommended jurisdictions for you guys to do your own research on. So first off, four reasons to set up offshore. Number one, Ian, you already brought this up. Get on the right side of history. This yeah. is it's maybe a bit over point but the point is is that the world is internationalizing and you know these tight controls to prevent entrepreneurs from going offshore I don't feel like they're sustainable I don't think 10 years from now it's going to be the case that um, it's you know America's going to be able to basically continue to have this super harsh enforcement of Americans abroad I think people are going to trend to doing business more freely. Yeah, it's really interesting to me how these laws work and how history works. Like people are in jail right now for uh, for marijuana, and everybody knows that uh, the country is like debating on whether or not to make marijuana legal. Uh, <laughs> and you know, this is just one thing, right? And so we'll look back on history and we'll say, man, that was a real bummer that like all those people hung out in jail for so long, and now it's legal. And the same thing uh, with a lot of this tax stuff. I think it's gonna get it's gonna get figured out here in the next twenty years. I think. Um, it's going to be a it's going to be a different landscape and i think what we're going to find is we're going to look back and say that was really ridiculous the way that we tried to like build these uh invisible fences uh with these with these countries and and kind of hold these corporations and things like that and right. so I, I i think we should we should get started now. We should get on the right side of history now because 20 years from now, these invisible borders hopefully will be broken down even more so and people will be moving around as they're starting to now with the way the internet is and the way that cheap flights are and things like that. Uh, and, we, you know, we're going to have we're gonna have companies all over the place. It's going to be a mess, and it's going to be really cool to watch the government scramble and figure out how to make this work. And I'm high right now. Number two <laughs> is we're talking about asset and legal diversification. Actually, let's just do three. Asset and legal uh, protection. I think asset and legal protection can be one category. And I think this is just good practice, Ian. If you've got a really good business going in California, right? And you're thinking about starting your next business, why not start it in a new jurisdiction? Assuming that that jurisdiction doesn't have high legal costs, which a lot don't. Places like Singapore and Hong Kong, it's very cheap to run a company. So why not diversify? You know, what if something goes wrong with the United States? What if something happens in California? What if somebody wants to sue you? This is also a great strategy if you have any company that has a potential for lawsuits. Like if you wanted to, say, start a marijuana blog, you know, I know you have a passion for that. Why don't you set up that marijuana blog 
in Nevis. That way, if anybody wants to sue you for the like incorrect medical information or whatever you gave out on that blog, it's like, fine, I'll see you in Nevis where you have to right. post a $25,000 bond to sue somebody. So this is one way that you can think about asset diversification. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. And I think as you know, you go through the process of building wealth, you want to make sure that you move stuff around so that people can't take you for all your worth because one of your pieces of cat furniture fell over, you know? Yeah, that's right. And legally, you're allowed to start a company or a corporation in Hong Kong and Singapore as a U.S. citizen. For sure. So, you know, we're, we're not talking about doing anything uh, illegal here. Uh, right. We're talking about asset protection here. And uh, we're just talking about setting up a company which is well within your rights. That's correct. And the third reason to set up offshore is less red tape and logistical overhead. I mean, it's a lot easier to run a company in some of these offshore jurisdictions than it is to run one from a place like California. A place like California, you got somebody on your payroll. The IRS is going to sit down and they're going to say, well, are they a freelancer? Are they this? You got to give them health insurance. If they're at this level, you got to do this. Well, did you bring that person out for a beer last night? Well, I don't think you can bring them out for a beer unless you had 15% of the conversation. It's like these kinds of things, right? Do you have a home office? Well, does a home office have two? We've all read this tax code, right? I'm not even joking. Like these things actually exist. Like what percentage of your living room do you use for your home office? This is in the freaking IRS tax code. And these are things that guys like sit around and go through with toothpicks at the end of the year trying to figure out how much we owe the government. It's a waste of time. And so if you go to a place like Hong Kong, you step into your accountant's office and it's like, check a few boxes and bada bing, bada boom, because they're not collecting taxes from you anyway. So they don't have any incentive to make sure that 50% of your home office is being used for work and 50% has a baby crib in it. Right. And I think that's something that is really appealing to me because it's frustrating. And we spend a lot of money with our California accountant talking about stuff that's not making us money. That's right. And that, that stinks when you're trying to deliver value to the world and you're sitting there trying to figure out how to translate all this stuff because who knows who wrote these things, but they weren't people that were interested in clarity. So speaking of clarity, let's, based on our limited knowledge and year and a half of research and talking with people. Let's talk about three potential jurisdictions that you could get started in um, when you want to sort of organize offshore. The first two are grouped together because we often talk about them in the same breath. It's Singapore and Hong Kong. Um, if you if you look at like offshoring your assets and business as a process, I, I, I use the analogy of stepping stones. And, you know, you start with the United States stepping stone or Europe or whatever, wherever you're located, Oz, and then you sort of make your first step outside of the country. And a great place to do that is Hong Kong and Singapore. And there's a bunch of reasons. These places are above board. These places are zero corporate tax. And of course, if you're American, you still have to pay uh, taxes on your personal income. So that's really critical. But, um, you know, these places are zero tax. They're trusted. Like if I, if I, you know, it's, it's kind of weird, Ian, if, if you like want to buy something from me and I'm like, yeah, do you mind uh, sending that wire over to uh, my Nevis Corporation? <laughs> right. <laughs> How about you uh, wire that to the Seychelles? I mean, of course people do that, but um, that's going to work maybe with individuals, but it's going to not be as great on a sales page or on a customer invoice. So it's good to have a world-class brand like Hong Kong or Singapore behind that. People doing business with you know they can go to Singapore and find this company. You know, it's That's not right. it's not in some cash register in uh, some tropical Bob Marley island. You know, this is exactly, and it couldn't be easier to set up in in uh, Hong Kong and Singapore. 
excuse me, Hong Kong and Singapore as well. I mean, it's really easy. I mean, there's services that are established. You walk into their office, you fill out some paperwork, you wait a couple of days. Sure. Boom, you've got a, you've got an account. Uh, you've got a bank account and you've got a corporation. I mean, it's they're set up for this kind of stuff. They know that Americans, Canadians, people from all over the world want to come, come to Hong Kong and set up a corporation. So there's services for you. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of great write-ups in the DC about this, but when people talk about Singapore versus Hong Kong, just to put it into a sentence, it's like Hong Kong's slightly cheaper, Singapore's slightly better. That I, that's, I mean, a lot of people are probably boiling red right now about that, but that to me is kind of the way I frame it up. Like Hong Kong makes a little bit more sense for us. Um, Singapore is a lot more expensive. You know, it depends what level you're operating at, but if you're bootstrapping, you know, Singapore, is, there's some real expenses there. Um, so Hong Kong is like a little bit faster to get started. Now, a lot of, there are downsides. It's not like all gravy when you go to Hong Kong. And this, the biggest critique of Hong Kong is that you have to keep all your paperwork. So like every receipt, every everything, you have to keep it for seven years on file, right? And Correct. you have to get a certified accountant to, you know, uh, to certify your receipts, your ledgers with Hong Kong every year. So you can't just have Joe Blow, uh, TurboTax do, the, do your Hong Kong corporation. So you have to like go to a legitimate accountant and do all that stuff. Now, I don't really see that as a big downside because that's the kind of stuff we do anyway. You know, like... Yeah, it's procedural stuff. I mean, it's it's basic stuff. I mean, in California, you've got a basic set of uh, rules that you have to follow. In Hong Kong, you've got a basic set of rules. There's very few places uh, that you don't have to follow some kind of procedure. All right. So number two, and this is one that we haven't personally done, but a lot of people have suggested that this is one of the hottest setups for banking setups and for internet marketing setups is BVI. So that's the British version islands. One thing that BVI works is it's one of those sort of, you know, classic offshore zones. You know, if you have a British version islands company, you don't have to keep that ledger, you know, you can just shoebox it basically. Um, and so that's really convenient when you're running a business. The one thing is BVI has a lot of trust with Asian banks. So you can go get your banking through Singapore, which is great. Singapore is a fantastic place to nom on delicious food and to do your banking. So BVI Singapore is a great mix. So we're getting a little long in the tooth. Our final recommended jurisdiction is the good old USA, man. And the USA Google, Apple, and a lot of multinational corporations have demonstrated to us that USA is a great place to hold your offshore corporations out of. Because one of the things, if you have a legitimate offshore corporation, so it's not just a place where you put all your money right, that you made from the stock market. It's a legitimate company right, that's running offshore. You can retain profits in that company. Now, don't take my advice on this stuff. I'm just talking, right? So I just want to make a disclaimer. Don't say Dan from the Lifestyle Business Podcast said this. So you do your own research on this stuff. But here's the thing. If, if your company is generating profits offshore, you don't need to repatriate them immediately when you earn them. And this is why Google and, and Apple and all these guys are keeping the money offshore and then negotiating with the U.S. government as to when they bring them into the U.S. as corporate earnings. So you can actually do the same thing. You can set up a company in Delaware and use that as a holding company for your offshore entities. And this has a double interesting benefit, which is that certain times there can be ownership conflicts in offshore jurisdictions, and you can use the American holding company as leverage 
against your your offshore corporation um, where if you're on a jurisdiction where you have to share ownership with the board. And that's in a lot of jurisdictions. The, the advantage, of course, to places like Singapore and Hong Kong, Ian, is that you can just show up and be a 100% foreign owner, which is pretty baller. That is pretty baller. So what, is, what do you think? What percentage of the listeners do you think that we've retained into the quick tips, tricks, and or funny joke section? This is a pretty academic episode. I don't know. I hope that I don't know how actionable it was. I mean, if, if you if you guys got any questions, we definitely can um, forward you on to some consultants that can help you uh, answer your own questions. And uh, we love talking about this stuff. I mean, you yeah. know, you know, part of it is like, I always feel like the government like wants to turn me into a criminal when I talk about this stuff. You know what I mean? I feel scared to talk about offshore stuff a little bit. And I, part of you, what you were saying about getting on the right side of history is like, you know, we, we have the right to set up in Hong Kong, you know, we have the right to, you know, do these things. We should feel open about talking about them. And just as long as we, I think we clarify that, you know, we're not giving professional tax advice to anybody. <laughs> That's the one yeah. big no, no. Like we are not giving you professional tax advice. We are not, but we are talking about something which I think is a current event and which will become a main focus for a lot of businesses in the future, small businesses and big businesses in the future, which is where do we incorporate? Um, OLBP, I love it when you get topical. Yeah, buddy. All right. So let's drop that and talk about some music, man. I've been listening to a lot of cool stuff on YouTube and maybe I'm a little bit behind the curve on this one, Ian, but if you have a YouTube movie that you love, you can go to YouTube to mp3.com. We'll link C up to it, or you can Google it. And you can convert that video into an MP3. Isn't that the magic of modern technology? Is that legal? <laughs> Speaking of legal, you gotta go to gettingreal.37signals.com. This is better than their new books. And it's free. It's free. Yeah, it All is. you gotta do is give them your email address. This is about creating lean startups. Bootstrapped small, like Ian and I advocate, but they talk a little bit about software, but it's totally applicable to marketing, Cambodia Cash, online businesses. Absolutely download your free copy of Getting Real. It's a must read. It is is one of the top 10 most influential. I read this book and just absolutely the next day started a software company and it totally bombed. <laughs> Brains on the wall. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's sometimes the best thing that it, like advice can do, even if you're not following it, is that you just get moving. You know, it's like, well, I didn't listen to the guys in Getting Real, but at least I started a software company. Well, Ian, today we are going to play the listeners out with one of my favorite productivity jams. It's called Now I Can Dock. It's by Two Door Cinema Club. They are delightfully indie, hipsterish, cool dudes from the UK. We'll see you next Thursday, and thanks for joining me. Adios. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything we do. Bala, 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 bala. <laughs> <laughs>